Well, good morning and welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, w wouldn't you find it easier to get up every morning if you walked out in your front yard and you had that view in your front yard every morning? I, we think that would be much easier for us as well. We love it. So what we want to talk about today, what, what is your next great adventure? And we'll start with one of our next great adventure, ventures, and that is our seven grandchildren and building into them. And they've made it a little difficult for us because they are far, far away. We have three of them are in Amsterdam. So <laughs> it takes some real effort for us to build into them, but we are so committed to that. And the other four are in Las Vegas, so they're a little bit closer. But that's, that's our crew. <laughs> well, for Rhonda and I, our great adventure began uh, November 12, 1977. What was the date for you? Helen Keller, the uh, disabilities rights advocate of the early 20th century, who uh, at about 18 months old lost her sight, her hearing, and thus much of her speech at that time, made the statement that life is a thrilling adventure or nothing at all. We believe that that's true about marriage. We think about our own marriage. We think about the marriages that we work with. We think about your marriage and believe that marriage was meant by God to be a thrilling adventure or nothing at all. The idea of the confluence of two lives coming together uh, in the most vulnerable uh, context imaginable of marriage. Yeah, when two rivers come together in that way in a confluence, uh, it creates white water. Uh, that white water then is scaled as rapids on a scale of one to six. How about your marriage? <laughs> How do you scale that on a scale of one to six? As those two lives come together and you begin to blend and you begin to take those ideas of what uh, uh, was talked about last night by Ben and Janet and the sense that God brought you together for a sense of unity and yet you're so very different and yet you feel that sense that we have been drawn together from the very beginning, and the sense of passion that draws us together. On your wedding day, you stepped into the great adventure with the greatest assurances and the confidence imaginable. This is the wildness, this is the thrill of what first love is. When we first fall in love, that sense of the passion that draws us into the great adventure. So it's wedding season, isn't it? I've already talked to four people in less than 24 hours who have had a wedding in the last month. And so we are in wedding season. Um, but the sequential in-game goal of first love is marriage and a wedding. Uh, remember that little song that Diddy we used to sing when we were kids? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes... Well, um, that's kind of gotten shaken up in our culture today. But it still is the great plan that God had. Uh, when you fall in love, you are dr you're being driven by this passion towards spiritual oneness, emotional oneness, and physical oneness. And marriage secures it and was the design of God's from the very beginning, as we heard so beautifully outlined for us last night. Everything you experience on your wedding day, the passion of first love. Um, we, we just had a wonderful uh, time in Scotland with some couples and hearing the story of when they first knew they were in love. And some people describe it as, as suddenly that they've known this person for a long time, but they look at them one time and, and there's just like a shining around them. <laughs> Um, or they're, they're just struck, you know, by, oh, my goodness, this person, as if she's the one or he's the one. And that is that first love. 
uh, experience. Not that way for everybody, and our culture really plays that up, but that is first love. The idea of the uh, first love is really contained in the sense of what we might call passion. And passion, when we first fall in love, pushes us through the fear, anxiety, the hesitations to the place that it's a, an all-in expression. It, it, it's the only way to have an adventure is to be all-in that is fueled by our desire and emotion. And then our wedding vows are the strong bid towards security, the commitment that gives us the freedom to live a long-term, lifelong marriage together. That kind of security that is, that is genuinely needed to really hang in there for the long haul, which makes marriage so worth it. And then the honeymoon. The honeymoon is the afterglow. It's the safe eddy in the side of the river where you begin to, uh, to just enjoy each other in the fullest possible way. It says the two rivers come together. The honeymoon is a, is a harbor of fun and romance and intrigue. Yet eventually you come home from the honeymoon. The honeymoon ends, reality sets in, in-laws, bills, household chores, and somebody has to take out the trash. So we like to ask that question when we're kind of getting together with couples because we think, well, we know we get some amazing stories. So just think about that. When did you know that your honeymoon was over? For us, it was a line in the sand. Uh, we came home from our honeymoon. We did a, a, a California coastal uh, honeymoon up and down the coast, and we came home, and I was making dinner in our little apartment, and uh, knock came at the door. I answered it. It was two plainclothes policemen. They flashed their badges. They said there a, cr a crime had been committed, and they needed to question us. In the apartment that, <laughs> that I had been living in prior <laughs> to our wedding, uh, I had been living there by myself, and then all of a sudden, on the night of our wedding, I disappeared. They had staked out our place for a, a 10 days waiting for the uh, so resident to come they home. Took me to the, one took me to the kitchen, one took Kurt to the bedroom, and they questioned us. Of course, we had lots of cooperation. We had wedding gifts all over the, <laughs> the living room, and, and so it made sense, uh, our stories. But uh, they left, and oh my goodness, Rhonda didn't, uh, it was not Rhonda's best day. <laughs> <laughs> well, she comes home, these guys come to the door, and they're basically making an accusation of this crime that I have committed, and my bride is now the first time that she has heard anything about this. She knows the night of the crime, I was with her. <laughs> but I'm thinking, I can't live here. I can't live here. We have one car that we share together. He's going to go away every day to his job, and I'm going to be here by myself, and I can't live here. And so that's what ensued. I said, I can't live here. And it, it accelerated into quite an argument. And I said, the worst thing probably I've ever said to Kurt, and that was, my dad would never make me live here. <laughs> so for us, that, that kind of began the pace of knowing that the honeymoon was over. And, and it happens that year after year, the spirit of adventure begins to wane. Romance is replaced by responsibility. Before long, you lose that couple pictured in your social media posts. Yes, and, and those pictures uh, that we took on our wedding day or at our honeymoon, uh, some years later we look and we say, where's that couple go? Who are they? <laughs> How can we get them back? 
Jesus gives a great picture of that in the New Testament when he's talking to the New Testament church in Ephesus, a church that had been on fire and passionate about what it really meant to have a relationship with Jesus, and yet that church had grown cold, at least cool, and maybe even passive in their approach and their desire to really pursue and to follow Jesus. Jesus says this to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 3. He says, you have left your first love. He says, you're doing all the work of a good church. You're doing everything that a church should do, but you have lost your zeal for me. You've lost your desire, your passionate love for me. The love you had in the beginning, that is romantic language, first love. And Jesus is applying that to the church. And you know, as it was even shared last night, that throughout the Scripture, the marriage illustration, the marriage imagery is used for the relationship between God and His people. And so now Jesus is saying, your love has grown cold. You, you have left your first love. What happened to that love that you had in the beginning? The kind of love that draws a man or a woman to Jesus and the kind of love that draws a man and a woman to each other and into marriage. When you first began to follow Jesus, what made your heart sing? Remember when you first became a Christian? I mean, it was being with other Christians. It was, it was opening the Bible and then making sense for the first time. It was coming to a place like this and seeing not just the creation, but the creator. And maybe it was worship music that began to draw you in. Maybe it was a recovery meeting where people were authentic and real. Small group discipleship, that clean feeling of being forgiven when you first fell in love with Jesus. That's the kind of passion Jesus is talking about to these people in Ephesus, the illustration that we're using to talk about marriage. And segue that to your first love experience. What was your first love experience as a couple? What made your heart sing about that other person? Um, have we lost that? Has the mundane nature of marriage and life uh, taken, uh, put that on a, a back burner or even turned off the burner? Um, let's think about it. what are the things that steal that from us. Well, responsibilities. We can't get away from responsibilities, but the responsibilities stack up <laughs> as we go through life, as we get a mortgage, as we take on more responsibility with jobs. It's when we become parents, definitely. Um, and that increases as the kids get older. You know, um, it's hard to change diapers, but, you know, going head, you know, toe-to-toe -to -toe with a teenage boy that's uh, six feet tall is, is a lot harder than changing a diaper <laughs> or getting up with somebody throwing up in the middle of the night. It's, it's harder when, as uh, parenthood goes on. Um, it's the in-laws and that relationship. It's even caring for elderly parents um, that becomes sometimes a very difficult thing for us. This is my big one, the irritability of little things. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. <laughs> when we get older, we are less resilient to those irritable things that happen in a relationship. One of ours is hearing each other. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I usually have to say things twice. And when I'm in a, in the Holy Spirit is really in reigning in my life, then I don't have a problem with that. But when I feel selfish... When I am impatient, I feel angry about that. I've noticed that. <laughs> it's the trauma of broken things. 
or even broken promises in our relationship. We get to the place of that trauma and we, we begin to realize that we settle for an okay marriage. So the question is, is there a door back to the adventure, to the passion, to first love? Well, Jesus gave not only a diagnosis to the church in Ephesus, but he gave them uh, a sense of a remedy. They gave, he gave them an answer. He gave them a door back to what it was to fall in love with him again. He said this. He said, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you first fell in love with me, church, individual Christian. Remember what it was like to have those, that sensation of being completely clean and forgiven, the, the worship songs. And then he says, do this. Turn around. And then he says this, do the things that you did at the beginning. How often is it that you walk by a portrait or a, a, an album or uh, a, a, an album on your uh, computer of pictures and you see the portrait of your wedding hanging in the landing or the bedroom, wherever it is, and you stop and you look and you remember. And you think about the beginning, the concept of our song, first date, great dates, the first dance that we had, trips that we took together, anniversaries that we have. Jesus says, remember the past. Remember from where you have fallen, what it was like when you were first in love. Songs, words, dreams. And then he says this. He says, turn around. Actually, what that is is the same word that is used uh, throughout the Scripture for repent. Turn around, repent. And, and begin to think through that. Begin to recognize who it is that you're sitting next to, why you chose them. You know, even in the midst of your irritation, when the Holy Spirit's not in charge, yes. when I think back, when I turn around and I remember what we shared in those early days, yes. I would. I would. 46 years later, I'd pick you again years. over and over again a million times. I, it, it brings back that idea to, to stop and to remember and then... Jesus gives the, the, the part that says, turn around, remember, turn around. And then he says this, do the things that you did at the beginning. That's where we want to really focus our time this morning. Create a pattern of renewing your first love. Uh, we want to focus on, on the dreaming part of that. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last night. When you first fall in love, dreams are a major part of it. You, 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 have a, you meet that person and it's like... Uh, would she go out with me? I, I, there's this dreamy part, and then you, you, you have your first date, and then you dream about a second date, and then it's like, could there be more? Could this be the one? Could, might we have a wedding and get married and a family and a life together and vacation? And all of these dreams begin to unfold as we are in that early part of the romance. Dreaming yet is one of the first things that's lost as marriage and family become mundane. That's primary to first love. Yes, and we're not, we're not saying that the family and building a life and a, a career together are, are second. Um, but we often just let that be what we run with. And there are other dreams beyond that. And that's why you find couples that get to where we are in life, empty nesters, and the kids move away, and they look at each other and go, uh, do I know you? <laughs> 
what are we going to be about now? Because we don't have those people that are driving our lives. So uh, this is a remedy for that. How do you re-engage the first loves and dream again together? So we want to give you a framework. Let me, let, me, let me get one more part in here. And, because it's really important to realize that without dreams, there would be no first date. If there wasn't a dream in the beginning, there would be no first date. There would be no first days of college. No graduate school, no first day of the job, no medical discoveries, no first day of vacation, no first voyages, flights, trips. Without dreaming, there would be no great adventures. So for us to be able to think through that, it's important that we, that we work through that and that we, we ask the question, what's next for us? A, a, a second date, another kiss, a, a wedding, a baby, a home, the fifth anniversary, another baby? <laughs> A family, a bigger house, a weekly date night, a Hume Lake retreat next year. We look forward to a 25th anniversary, a vacation without kids, an empty nest, grandkids, a 50th anniversary. What is the new dream, the new next great adventure for you? And so we do. We want to give you a framework because dreaming comes naturally to some people. And it's, it's quite contrary to other people. So sometimes we need something that kind of kickstarts us into that process and, and gives us a guideline. So we want to give you um, a, a framework to leave Hume Lake with at least one dream that is a dream that's mutual, that you've agreed to with both of you on board, and something to roll out as you go home. But when we think about dreaming, um, we think it really has a lot of roots back to when we were kids. Like, you know, when we were kids, we could just imagine ourselves doing all kinds of things, all different kinds of roles. And, and when we ask couples to tell us what they wanted to be when they grew up, it often has a, a, a tentacle into what they're doing today. So turn to each other and tell each other what you wanted to be when you grew up. Just turn to your mate and share that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we're, you know we're need to move on. Keep that, hold that thought, and so we're keep gonna sharing. Be, we're going to be asking a number of questions like that. Uh, just because we don't give you time here to do it, don't stop having that yeah. conversation. Keep talking. Pick and pick that up on the walk around the lake, or at a meal, or tonight when you are cuddling with one another. But um, mine was. Um, I'm 12 years older than my youngest sister, and my mom got very sick with her pregnancy. So I, at 12 years old, became the cook at our house. And um, it was in, in 19, what year was that? It was the year that Julia Child had her first program on television. And I was enamored with This is called French black and white cooking. TV. <laughs> and so I would just watch her and then... When I miss making my dinner, I'd be narrating what I was doing, and like I was on camera. <laughs> uh, I just was very enamored with her. Not her voice. You know, I didn't want to repeat that. But, <laughs> but I thought, I want to be a great cook like that. And so that is a piece of what we do today, because hospitality is a huge part of what we do as we invite couples into our home to encourage them in their marriage. So it really does have these tentacles and things that God was identifying in you early on 
that are a part of your future. So I, I, sometimes when I come home, I know that Rhonda's been uh, thinking about uh, early days of dreaming when I hear her in the kitchen, butter! Everybody <laughs> needs more butter in what you're going to make, and always good for a glass of red wine. Uh, uh, for me, uh, you know, it was every one of these things. If you're familiar with the Enneagram personality type, I'm an Enneagram 7, so it depended on what day it was. Uh, what I was dreaming about when I was going to grow up. So uh, everything from a cop to a fireman to a farmer to a forest ranger, uh, a little bit of everything is what I had in mind. Yes, so the loss of dreaming comes in many forms. Trauma, failure, disappointments, unfulfilled expectations, and even the routine of our lives. We often shift to the linear uh, what are you about today? When, well, this is what I'm about. And we just get on the line of the linear and we do the thing that has to be done. And we don't think of beyond that thing. So often what it is uh, in our lives together, we're more caught up in the idea of planning it and doing it and spending very little time dreaming about what we're going to plan and do. Rhonda used the word routine. And the routine is the idea that we are mostly involved in doing it and not even often enough in planning it, and seldom do we get to the place of dreaming it. There's a story that was told a number of years ago about one of the early presidents of Yale University of the 20th century. He made this statement. He said, if I don't spend at least 15 minutes of my day every day with my feet propped on my desk thinking about the future of Yale University, I am no longer the president and leader. I'm only the manager of the university. The question is, what do you want as you look forward? Jesus has a remedy for you. If your marriage has come to that place of routine, turn around. Dream like you did in the beginning, first love kind of thinking. What were the dreams that you had as a newlywed? We want to encourage you to think about your past with a vision for the future, remembering forgotten dreams of the past, blowing the dust off of dreams that maybe you've set aside, and maybe even this weekend dreaming some new dreams for the next season of your future together. And, and Solomon really set that out for us when uh, in Ecclesiastes 3 when he talks about there's a time for every season, uh, everything in its season, in every activity under heaven. And at the end of that, he says, and he has made everything beautiful in its time. So often we get in, into our season and we're wishing we were in another season or, you know, when we're... At our stage, we're looking back, and wasn't it so fun when we were raising our kids? You know, we forget all of that. You know, the, all the it's called nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> but this season, embracing this season that God has us in, and what would He have us dream in this season? As we begin to think through that, uh, the the idea is to look at uh, the the sense of how to take your differences as. We will be looking more with Ben and Janet and really blending those things together, uh, picking up the pace of parent, uh, parenting, moving into becoming the momentum of midlife, uh, the, the cadence of grandparenthood, the sweet wisdom of old age, letting those seasons ahead of you provide not despair but hope. That's what's intended in, in the rhythm that the Creator has given to us. So we want you to dream about this season. Discover each other's dreams for tomorrow, too. And so the, the plan is for us to, to give you a couple of things that are going to kind of kickstart to prime the pump. Um, we have recently been reading a book 
And you're going to laugh when I tell you <laughs> Matthew McConaughey <laughs> has written this book called Greenlight. And we just thought, you know, we, he's got such a dynamic personality. We thought, well, let's just read that and see, you know, what he's talking about. You know he's a wild and crazy man, so we're not advocating his lifestyle. <laughs> but he, the Greenlight idea is so powerful. So he goes through these different scenarios in his life, and at the end, he identifies the green light. Instead of the red light or the yellow light, he looks for the green light. What is the green light that says, go forward? And we think that's so uh, important in the whole dreaming process. Um, and when I think about our dreaming, Kurt and I are very different kind of dreamers. So um, thinking about you as a couple, who is the most natural dreamer between you? Point at that person. Yes, yes, there's a natural dreamer. Usually God gives at least one person that lovely gift of dreaming. <laughs> when, we begin, when we begin to think about that idea of dreaming, we need to realize that dreaming, dreaming should come natural, or maybe we should say supernatural to Christians, because dreaming is a faith-based reality. It is standing where you are today in the present reality, looking at a future reality. And dreaming is what takes us from a present reality to the future. It is the idea that when we dream together that we have a vision for what we and who we might be and what we might be doing together. One of the most powerful things that you can do as a couple is to dream about your future because one of the things that you do when you dream about your future is you are dreaming about being with that person sitting next to you in the future which strengthens the commitment of your relationship. If you're at the place in your marriage right now where, where the, the sense of, uh, of the, the future of your relationship is questionable, dreaming brings a sense of energy yes. and a sense of power to that. Uh, one of the, the research-based evidences of that is the idea that a couple who's struggling in their marriage right now, if they stay together, especially with some dreams about what it might look like five years from now, five years from now, that couple will be together because they have envisioned themselves in the future together. Dreaming is a faith-based reality. So as we sit in the present reality and we dream about the future, it brings hope to the journey and it brings energy to the relationship. It's a powerful thing that comes into our lives. And we've even experienced that because there was a time in our, our marriage when we had to live apart for two years. And um, we really, I mean, we were doing marriage ministry, so it's kind of hard to explain, you know, yeah, we're doing marriage ministry, but we don't live together. You know, I mean, it was hard. Um, and as we entered that season, we realized this is, we need to be strategic about this. This, this is like a target on our back. And uh, we did. We had a plan that we would go to Kauai, which we had never been, to Kauai at the end of this time when God would actually bring us under one roof again. And it was amazing how powerful that was to get us through a hard time. So as we live in that supernatural kind of idea, for us, the idea that it is, it is very much like our vows at the very beginning that really gave us the the, the stability, the security to be able to continue to live in our differences with each other. The verse that you're familiar with in Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Doesn't that sound like marriage vows? Think about it for a minute. When you're standing there or you watch a couple, 
uh, pre presenting their vows to each other, they have this sense, this assurance of things that they are hoping for, things that, that, uh, that, that they would imagine, that they would dream about, and they would have the conviction that they had everything that they needed to take them into that future. So our goal is to bring you to your past, to remember from where you have fallen, to turn around, and now to begin to dream about the future that you would become lifelong dreamers. So dreaming can be a little intimidating, especially for the person who isn't a natural dreamer. And this was a discovery process for us. Uh, so Kurt, Kurt had more dreams than we could accomplish in two lifetimes. So, and, and my sense of things in the beginning was like, well, he's got it. He's got that covered. So, you know, I'll just be the facilitator, and I'm good at facilitating. So we just launched into that. But he kind of uh, changed the, the, the uh, equation on me. On our 25th wedding anniversary, we went for our first time. This was our first trip to Hawaii, period. And we went to Maui. And um, just two hours into it, he said, you know, babe, I have um, an assignment for you this week. hear what I'm saying? Um, I didn't want an assignment. I left my assignments at home. You know, it was just like inside of me. I'm just like going, what? And then again, the Holy Spirit was in charge that day. And so I said, what would that be? <laughs> and I heard the most beautiful words that I'm so glad I didn't have a smart aleck comment to. And he said, you have really relinquished some dreams, I think, over the years to raise our family, to be at home with them to really support and be a part of my ministry, our ministry, I would like to know what are the dreams God has placed in your heart for our next season? Because our oldest was graduating. Everybody was coming along after that. And it was such a blessing to me. I, I was just, you know, floored. I, I, that's not how our parents handled this season of life. It's not how his parents handled this season of life. And for him to be so open to what I was dreaming about. It was just amazing, but it was intimidating because I didn't think I was a dreamer. And so um, I just said, okay, uh, I'm going to pray about it, but don't, don't count on me having anything this week because, you know, we're in Kauai. We're, I mean, in Maui, we need to just, like, enjoy this. But when I was away from my assignments, God was connecting the dots. And it was things that I had been praying about, things that I was thinking about, but I didn't see it as a dream because I thought dreaming was only the way Kurt dreamed, which is outside of the box. And I don't dream outside of the box. I dream by problem solving. And that is definitely a different way of dreaming. But it's not an inferior way of dreaming. It's a great way of dreaming. And the combination of outside of the box and the <laughs> uh, problem solving, it's just a, a dynamic duo. So we embraced that at that point. It was like, oh, I do dream. And I had a dream that, month, that week when we were in, in Maui. And I said, you know, what if God gave us a house that was big enough that we could invite couples to and it would be it was really following a, a ministry that I had fallen in love with as in my 20s. It was called Labrie in Switzerland. And it was like couple to couple. And it was hospitality. It was all of my gifts and Kurt's gifts put together. And I said, what if God gave us a house? And Kurt laughed at me and said, God just doesn't do that kind of thing, Rhonda. <laughs> but I wasn't offended because I was a new dreamer. And so I just went on with it. And it wasn't really a part of um, 
our prayer list. Our small group didn't know about it. But it was part of our couple's language. And God was massaging that in our lives. And two years later, an offer came for us to run a couple's ministry at Forest Home Christian Conference Center, which is in the San Bernardino Mountains. And it was, would you ever consider coming and starting a ministry, creating a ministry in this uh, 5,000 square foot house with seven bedrooms, seven bathrooms? And it was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it wasn't my dream. It was God's dream. And he gave it to us so we can massage it before we launched into it. So for you, what was your last great dream? What was the last thing that uh, between the two of you, you, you dreamed together about? Uh, a, a big dream, something that puts you in the future together. You're holding in your hand, you've got this uh, worksheet that we've provided for you, uh, talking about dreamstorming quadrants. What we want to do is introduce you to the first step in a five-step uh, plan that we present at a, at a retreat that we call the Dream Master Retreat. And we want you to begin with the idea of what we call dream storming. Dream storming is a lot like brainstorming. How many of you have ever used a brainstorming technique at work? Or I mean, you, you sit down and you just come up with as many ideas as you can. And these are, these are dreams that you think about that are declarative. They're, they're, they're not fuzzy. They, they involve some particular destination point in the future. And so we want you to begin thinking about that uh, because as we as we begin dreaming together, we put ourselves in a long line of biblical dreamers. The scriptures are filled with people that had great dreams, beginning with David in the temple, beginning with Moses and the freedom of the people of Israel, beginning with, with, uh, with Daniel and John and Mary and Esther. All of these great dreamers in the scripture that we find to be true that God opens up for us. Don't stop dreaming. Our next great dream is this one here, is to go back to Scotland. This is uh, uh, us at the highest point in the, in the United Kingdom. This is uh, Ben Nevis. And so we're hoping to go back next year, do another marriage adventure, and then also climb Ben Nevis. One of the things that's important for you to do is to begin to think outside of the box. Not a, being able to, to just say, okay, we're going to continue doing everything as it has been done. Uh, on your outline, you've got a, a series of three, uh, nine dots like this. You see those there? What I want you to do is I want you to begin to think uh, and, and to try this exercise. You may have seen it before. If you've got a pen with you, place that pen on one of those dots, and then using four straight lines, connect all of the dots without lifting your pencil or your pen from the paper. Start on one dot, four straight lines without lifting your pen from the paper, connecting all of the dots. Can you do it? Look up when you've got it done. Okay, some in the back. Well, if you're, if you're working on it, it's going to look like this. How many of you are trying to connect them by keeping your lines within the box? You've got to get outside of the box and go beyond the thinking that you normally think when you begin working through this idea of dream storming. So what we're going to do is send you out this afternoon with this sheet that you have. 
We have it divided into four quadrants we want you to dream about. Your marriage, your family, your career, and then ministry that God might have for you. There's instructions at the bottom. We're going to give you some more stimulating thought here before we dismiss you. But this is a tool for you to take this afternoon. Find an opportunity. Grab a Coke, a milkshake, a coffee. Take a walk around. Begin this thing. There's, each of you should have a sheet. Begin this without being with each other. As Rhonda said, we dream very differently. For us to sit down and say, listen, here's four areas you want to dream about, Rhonda would say, Yo, go for it, babe. You, you're the dreamer. You do it. No. You separate from each other for at least an hour, and you fill out, and you try to come up with a number of dreams that you might have for the future in each of these areas. After that hour, you agree to a spot that you'll come back, and then you'll begin to share these things with each other. Some of you are sitting there, and you, some of you guys, some of you are dreamers, and you're going, yes, I've been waiting for something like this, and you're ready for it. Some of the rest of you are going, I don't have a clue of a dream that I might have. Uh, so let us give you just a little bit of stimulation to think through how to use this tool as you step into the afternoon. So um, there are roadblocks to dreaming, and that was one of my discoveries is that I had a huge roadblock to dreaming, and that was the, f the home that I grew up in. Uh, was a perfectionistic home, and uh, failure was, you know, that was the worst thing you could do, is to be a failure. So don't dream things you can't accomplish, because that's a failure, and that's going to bring shame on our family. And that was a really strong message for me. And um, when I finally realized that I needed to give myself permission, my dad might not be proud of a decision that I made. I might fail, and it might he might have some negative words to say about that. I have permission because my Father in heaven, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We are to cast off that spirit of fear. And it was a spirit of fear from my past, from how I was raised, that I needed to give myself permission. So you might need a little sticky note that you even write it down. I have permission. And give it scripture so that you're answering the, the enemy's uh, arrows with truth. Remember from where you have fallen, turn around, do what you did at the beginning. Give yourself permission to dream as you dreamed as a young person, as you dreamed as a young bride, a young groom, as you dreamed at the beginning of your career, the beginning of your walk with Jesus. Give yourself permission to dream. One of the things as we talk about the idea of dream storming that's really important is, uh, is to come back and to remember some of the rules for brainstorming. Focus on quantity. Write down, just begin writing things down. Don't, don't, don't be, get rid of that critic in the, in the frontal cortex of your mind that's evaluating everything. Stop, just begin thinking creatively, writing down ideas. No sense of, of uh, criticism. Encourage wild ideas. I mean, when Rhonda said, what if God gives us a house big enough that we could invite people to uh, for uh, seven couples at a time? I mean, that was a wild idea. That's why I laughed. I'm going to defend myself here. I mean, that was a wild idea. And yet out of that, we took that and we began to let that be some of our couple's language. And then God opened the door and we walked through it. Was it was a green light. It was a green light. <laughs> Begin to encourage wild ideas as you're thinking on your own. Combine and improve ideas. We came from that idea of doing... Uh, this this lodge, this bed and breakfast that we opened to what we created as being 
a concept called a bed and breakfast with a purpose. We have now traveled all around the world to bed and breakfasts around the world, hosting couples in and giving them a safe place to talk about their marriage in a bed and breakfast weekend. And we've led that and we've taught that in places from Greece to Vietnam, across the United States in the UK. We took it on a marriage trek on the West Highland Way. So we've been able to combine and improve these ideas that we have. Keep your mind open to those things. Often, remember as well that ver a dream is a verb before it is a noun. Some of you are sitting there and you th you're thinking, I don't have any dreams. That's a noun. And, and that'll destroy you. I, I don't have any dreams. Well, think about the idea of verbs, activities. What do you like to do? I like to travel. I like to sail. I like to collaborate. I like to mentor. I like to educate. I lo I'd love to graduate. I'd love to go to a graduate program. I'd love to serve. I'd love to adopt. Uh, I'd love to arrange things. I'd love to produce. What are the activities that you do? Start there. Make a list of activities that you enjoy as an individual, you enjoy as a couple. Then dream what that might look like if you went to the next step in that activity. So begin with the verb. Think about the idea of your spiritual gifts. When you sit down alone, beginning, begin listing some of your spiritual gifts. What are the gifts, unique gifts that God has given you? Uh, hospitality, uh, mercy, shepherding, wisdom, church planting, uh, the, the spiritual gift of teaching, discernment, prophecy. What are the things that God has given you, and how do you take those to a new level? Begin to dream about some of those things. What about your strengths? How many of you have done the Strengths Finder profile or some profile that has told you what you're really good at? Most of us focus on what we're bad at. When we go to an evaluation at work, we get an evaluation. You need to improve here, here, and here. Instead of that, the Gallup Association has said, hey, listen, instead of that, focus on your, your employees and your team's strengths. Focus on your own strengths. What are the strengths that you have? How can you plus that? For me, I'm a strategic thinker. How can I be able to take that and help others? And so to do personal coaching, helping others to take and think strategically about their life, about their future, about their dreams. What about your personality? Have you ever taken a personality team? How many of you know the Enneagram? Myers-Briggs? Uh, you know, all of those different things that are out there. Begin to take some of those things that are your, your personality. What comes out of those kinds of things that are, that are part of your personality? Some of those things would be like when, when your spouse is going, you always think that way. Well, yeah, I do. Well, keep thinking that and think out of the box in the sense of dreaming together. And the, the, it comes to the causes and the, the passions that we have in life. And a lot of times we, we see them in a box or a compartment, and they really can be broadened and include our mate if we look at them in a broader way. And we're not competitive. This is another thing, that uh, one of those obstacles, one of those blocks to being creative is that we get competitive with one another. And so, um, you know, I could have just really got shut down and felt competitive uh, by Kurt's laughter instead of, you know, well, yeah, it is kind of a wild idea, and I've never done this in 25 years, so I'm sure it shocked him. It was like Pandora's box being open. What if, you know, what have I unleashed with this woman? But um, it's important that we're, we're not competitive. We lay down that competitive piece, and we look to see how can we win as a couple. That is a goal that we have as a couple and have for the last 46 years. How do we win as a couple? 
Well, we're going to take some questions if there are any in just a second. But So this afternoon, we want you to remember from where you've fallen, turn around, do the things that you did at the beginning, begin to plan those here. And so this is just the, the, the beginning step, uh, to be able to, to dreamstorm some of these ideas and then to begin to, to put those into a plan, to execute those, to move beyond. You're going to begin by spending some time dreaming alone. So separate from each other, then set a time and a place to come back together and to share your dreams with each other. These four quadrants of the marriage, family, career, and your kingdom or ministry ideas. Any questions yeah. before we, uh, we finish up here with, with just a, a couple of closing ideas? Very few people raise their hand to ask the questions in a setting like this. We're going to be up here to answer any questions that you have. We're going to be around for All the rest of the, rest of the retreats yes. to be able to do that. So the idea that we would love to see happen is for you to share your dreams together with each other. One of the, th one of the challenges that comes in this is you as you go away separately and you begin to dream, is when you come together, is remember that that's a very vulnerable spot. Remember that idea of the first date? You might have dreamed about it and wondered, would she go out with me if I asked her out? There's some vulnerability in that when we begin to think about dreams. If I ask her to marry me, will she say yes? Uh, if, I, if I talk about this new job that I would like to take that would actually make us have to move our family and go somewhere else. There's some risk in that. There's some vulnerability. So in that idea, as we begin to share our dreams with each other, there's some vulnerability. You know? <laughs> if you're somewhere between birth and death, you're in midlife. You're in transition. If you're not in a transition now, you're, if you're not starting a new season, it won't be long before you are. What are you dreaming about that season and the one after it? Mm -hmm. Remember from where you have fallen, Turn around. Do the things that you did at that time. First love kinds of things. Dreaming is a number one category of first love. You've got this weekend. You've got this afternoon. You've got this tool. And you've got the power of the Holy Spirit to carry you into that next season. And you've got coaches here that are willing to walk with you and talk with you through it. So that's the assignment. We'll be up here if you've got questions. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you. Uh, you can also find uh, our information at our website, betweentwotrees.org. It's on your, on your sheet as well. Uh, that means we're available. I mean, by being here and with you at this retreat, we're available uh, to be able to resource you in this dreaming idea, uh, other places that you come into, uh, to a place of need in your marriage. So let me pray for you, and, uh, and then uh, we'll be done. We're going to meet back over in uh, the Ponderosa Chapel at 1030. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, um, your love for your church is recognizable by the love that we had for each other when we got married. The passion that we felt on our, on our wedding day and our wedding night throughout our honeymoon and off and on now throughout our marriage. We're reminded of the way that you love us. And when we're reminded of the way that you love us, we are reminded as well uh, of how you want us to love each other. And as Ben and Janet are talking and we want to do that together in union with each other. And so, Father, that begins to, uh, to turn around and to do what we did at the beginning. So for our friends here, we ask that you be with them, that you 
excite them, that you energize them, that you go before them to give them some dreams to begin talking about. Father, today is not enough time for them to execute the whole thing, but today is a day for them to begin. At this moment right now, encourage them, inspire them, give them the initiative to turn to each other and say, let's do this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you just, uh, so again, we, we've got resources available. Uh, about four years ago, we released a book uh, called Marriage, uh, talking about marriage, its purpose, its mission, uh, and, and, and its goals in a changing world. The world is definitely changing. So if you'd like a copy of that book, those are for sale for 20 bucks. Uh, you, can, uh, you can just kind of drop it there on the table. If you don't have 20 bucks, you can figure out a way to get it to us. Uh, but we'd love for you to, to get a copy of that if you're interested. So again, we're going to be up here, and uh, we'll see you over Ponderosa in about 10 minutes, 15 minutes.